Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 3. The book of Romans, chapter 3, you can find this on the screen or you can turn there in your Bible. Romans, chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 21 through 26. I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word together. This is God's word. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear your word right now. Whatever it is that we may have on our mind right now, whatever it is that may be distracting us right now, in whatever ways we might be escaping in our mind to after service, we pray that right now we would give our, our full attention to this because there is nothing more important than what we are going to hear today from your word. It is life. And so we pray that you would give us life as we receive your word. And we pray that you would help us not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Add a blessing to our hearing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In a video from the Tribeca Film Festival of 2017, Oprah Winfrey did a little interview. And one of the things that Oprah said in this little interview is she remarked on one of the common denominators of every single guest that she ever had on her show. She said there was one thing in 25 seasons, there was one thing that was consistent, no matter who she was dealing with. There was one thing that every single person asked her right after the interview. It was a series of questions. She said this, every single person would turn and look at her at some point after the interview and say, how was that? Was that okay? How did I do? She says, whether it was Barack Obama or Beyonce, Tom Cruise, or an ordinary person that she brought in for an interview, every single solitary person wanted to know how they did. And what's interesting, if you listen to it, what's interesting is that none of these people thought that they could render this judgment on themselves. They, they needed someone from the outside, in this case, Oprah, to make a judgment on them, confirming that they survived the scrutiny and had come through on the other side affirmed. 
justified. This was the core set of questions underneath it all for every single solitary person on the Oprah Winfrey show. But what's more important for you and I this morning is the fact that this is the core set of questions that's on the hearts and minds of every single resident of Washington, D.C., and every single person sitting in this room today. There is a core set of questions that drives everything that we do. How was I? How did I do? Was that okay? Was that enough? Could I survive the scrutiny? How'd I do? What is, what is my status? Where do I stand? Am I acceptable? Now, despite the popularity of the no judgment doctrine in our culture, you can't judge me, don't judge me, here's the interesting thing. Everybody in the world wants to be judged. They long for it. They need to be judged. They want to be judged. They just want the judgment to be favorable rather than unfavorable. They want to lift up the favorable judgments and turn up the volume on the favorable judgments and to silence the negative judgments. You've never heard anyone receive this word, you did that really well, and say, you can't judge me. No, they long for the judgment. They just want the judgment to be favorable. And they recognize that they can't just render that judgment on themselves. They need a voice from the outside to confirm them, to speak over them, to declare over them that they are good, that they are acceptable, that they're okay, that they pass the scrutiny and are justified. It's an interesting phenomenon. And once you realize that everybody longs for this, everybody needs this, everybody wants this judgment over their lives, what you begin to see is that the issue of righteousness is everywhere in our culture and it's everywhere in our lives. Now, we tend to, to, to highlight our, our distinctiveness and our differences in culture and we, we tend to pass judgment, even if in our minds, on the activity of those people over there and we think more highly of our own activities. But I want you to see something and it is a scary Similarity. Young men join gangs because they need a favorable judgment on their lives from the outside. Young women give their bodies because they need a favorable judgment over their lives from the outside. Students seek more and more advanced degrees and qualifications because they need a favorable judgment on their lives from the outside. Professionals work long hours at the office because they need a favorable judgment on their lives from the outside. Mothers fret over their children because they need a favorable judgment on their lives from the outside. People signal virtue on social media and try to live basically moral lives because they need a favorable judgment on their lives from the outside. People fight for justice, oftentimes not because they care about justice, but because they need a 
favorable judgment on their lives from the outside, and this is their chosen means of getting it. It's a widespread cultural phenomenon. But in theological terms, this is the search for righteousness. This is the search for justification. Everybody feels a deep need to be judged from the outside as acceptable. Everybody has a deep need to face scrutiny, to survive it, and to come out on the other side justified. From the time we're little and we bring our little artwork before our parents and say, look, it's not just to inform the parent or the adult that they made a picture. They want a favorable judgment over their lives and they want to be rendered acceptable. And it doesn't stop all the way until you get older and you look back over your life and you begin to ask the question, how did I do? And you long for a favorable judgment on your life from the outside. But here's the problem. We all need a favorable judgment on our lives from the outside, but everything on the inside tells us that it's not warranted. We're stuck. Because in those moments where we are not caught up in our own press clippings and we are dealing honestly with our own hearts, we realize that although we need a favorable judgment from the outside, everything on the inside says that we should not get that favorable judgment. So what do you do when you know that you can't help enough little old ladies across the street in order to quiet your guilty conscience? What do you do? What do you do when you realize that you're really a mediocre Samaritan? What do you do? What do you do with the disparity between the public you and the private you? What do you do with the search for righteousness? You're not an exception. I'm not an exception. We all need it. We long for it. We crave it. We desire it. And that explains so much of the way that things are and the way that we work for good and bad. The Christian faith stands alone in running these questions to a single glorious answer. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. It's the single glorious answer. This is what separates Christianity from absolutely everything else. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. This is the difference between the Christian faith and every other philosophy, every other worldview, and every other religion. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Historic Protestantism said that this idea was the standing or falling article of faith. This, where you stand on this, determines whether you stand or fall, whether you live or die, whether you actually will get the justification for which you long. So here's the deal. As we continue through our series on 
the doctrine of salvation this morning, we are going to get to the most essential and glorious truth of our salvation, the doctrine of justification. Somebody say justification. justification. Now, for some of you, that may be a new word. Others of you have heard this word for a long time and still struggle to live by it. But I want to clarify this for you today, and I want to get into why it matters. And so we're going to hit the doctrine of justification through two points. The fact of justification by faith and the impact of justification by faith. Those are our two points. The fact of justification by faith and the impact of justification by faith. So let's look at our first point. The fact of justification by faith. Now, uh, I want to let you know that historically, uh, interpreters have called this paragraph the most important paragraph ever written in human language. <laughs> that there is, there is nowhere where all the most important and glorious themes of life and death converge so mightily as in this passage. So I want you to pay attention. It may be a little dense for you, but we're going to d- develop this thing, all right? And so if we're going to get this passage, we need to catch it in the flow of the Apostle Paul's argument. And what you need to appreciate about Paul is that he wastes no words. He gets down to the nitty-gritty. He cuts right down to the marrow of things. And Paul desires to speak to all kinds of people. He wants to speak to his people, the Jewish people. He wants to speak to those who have not been his people, the Gentiles. He wants to speak to the religious. He wants to speak to the irreligious. And he wants to make a case for the gospel. That's what the entire book of Romans is about. He wants to take his mission to Spain. And he, and he wants to get a missionary base out, out west. But he doesn't know these folks out there. So what he has to do is he has to let them know the gospel that he preaches is the same gospel that they have believed. He has to earn their trust by laying out his gospel. And so he lays down his theme about the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's why it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's Romans 1, 16 through 17. Then he begins to make his argument. What do I need this gospel for? Why should I care about this gospel? He says, well, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. But let me tell you what's revealed in humanity. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The gospel is about the righteousness of God. But he asked, before he can get you to appreciate the righteousness of God, he has to tell you about the unrighteousness of humanity. And that's what he begins to do. And he begins to make the case for how broke down humanity is. He clears the deck. Nobody is left standing. This is like Paul at the OK Corral. When he gets done, there is nobody standing. He goes after the moral, the immoral folks out in the Gentile world. 
Then he goes after the moral folks in the Gentile world. Then he goes after his own people who are about the law of Moses. And by the time he finishes with them, here are the final, the final words that he lays down. He says, for we have already charged, chapter 3, verse 9, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. And now he's quoting scripture to make his case. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness on social media. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And with that, you hear the thud of humanity hitting the ground. Over. Paul has to lay out the bad news for us before we will get the glory of the good news. Paul has to lay out and make a case for the unrighteousness of humanity because we are so deluded that we keep running back to thinking that we can put forward a self-righteousness. We're addicted to self-righteous, self-justifying behavior. And you will never Embrace the righteousness of Christ until you have abandoned your own self-righteousness and your own self-justifying ways. How can, going back to our initial opening theme, we see nothing but unrighteousness in us, but yet and still we long to hear from the outside the words of approbation over our lives, the words of affirmation over our lives that we so desperately need. We need affirmation from the outside to tell us that we are good, that we stand, that we're okay. And that puts us in attention because how can people who have this kind of record stand justified? How can they be made righteous? How can they be made whole? Now, here's the deal. After he lays that down for, for a few chapters, he then turns to our passage for this morning, and this is why it's been said that this is the most important paragraph ever written in human language. It starts off from Paul. He says, but now the righteousness of God. And I want you to see through the rest of the passage, he repeats it four times just so you'll get it. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. 
His righteousness, the righteousness of God. Why is he so emphatic about the righteousness of God? Because there's no righteousness of humanity to speak of. And this is where the good news becomes good. If your religion is about your righteousness, then what you have is not good news. It is not good news. But Paul is turning here to give good news. And he's talking about a righteousness from God that comes from outside of us. Here's the deal. If you are going to get that affirmation from the outside that you so desperately crave, then you must look for a righteousness from the outside. There is no righteousness to be found in here. And once Paul disabuses us of that idea that we can find righteousness in ourselves, in our good intentions, in our good deeds, in our good plans, in our education, in our organization, in our socialization. Once he disabuses us of that, then we're ready for the good news. Look at the text. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has appeared. It has been demonstrated apart from the law. Somebody say, apart from the law. How can you be righteous? The only way you can be righteous is apart from the law. Apart from the law of Moses. Apart from the law of our socio-political culture. Apart from your own laws that you concoct in your own head. Because here's the deal. You can't even live up to the standards that you've put on yourself. Much less can you live up to the standards that God puts on us. You say, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to work out this year. You know, I'm going to read the Bible this year. January, Genesis, February, Exodus, March, Leviticus, and thus endeth the reading of the scriptures. You know what? I'm not going to flip out on my kids anymore. You know what? I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be, hey, 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 hey. Get yourself. We can't even live up to our own law. How are you going to live up to the law of God? How are you going to keep it? Our, our full-time profession, for real, for real, is full-time lawbreaker, full-time promise breaker. Full-time covenant breaker. We're just business people on the side. We're just educators on the side. We just work in politics on the side. Our full-time occupation, what occupies our minds and our hearts 24-7 is breaking God's law and breaking God's heart. That's what our lives have been about. And even if you decide that you're going to change course right now, even if you decide that you're going to turn over a new leaf right now that does not deal with what you have done, nor what you will do, we have a righteousness problem. And the righteousness problem of humanity is that we have none. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Nine. 
Because even your good deeds you do for your own glory. Even the things that you would do for others catch you looking back over your shoulder to see if anyone recognized you. And then you say, to me be the glory, to me. That's what we do. It's, it's funny because it's so sad and we have to laugh to keep from crying because we're so corrupt and twisted. But Paul wants to bring us good news. It's a righteousness of God apart from the law. For all who believe, all who believe, for the Jew, for the Greek, for the young, for the old, for the black, the brown, the white, everybody, for all who believe, for those who are convicted felons and those who have been goody two-shoes, for all who believe the righteousness of God apart from the law. For there is no distinction. Now here's the damaging, the damaging judgment. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now you know what that means? It takes us back to the beginning. We were created for glory, to glorify God. We were created to rule and to reign in the world. We were created to love and be loved. We were created to serve one another and the Lord and creation. We were created for brilliance, to shine. We were created with dignity. But now we have subverted all that. We have fallen short we have fallen short. That is the damaging judgment. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, but here's the deal, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to follow this, follow this grammar here, okay? And are justified by his grace in Christ Jesus and are justified by his grace in Christ Jesus. Now, we opened up this series with, with a big illustration that the mountain range of the doctrine of salvation is union with Christ and that all of the various peaks are calling, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification. So here's the question. How can you... Be simultaneously a sinner, but also just, justified. How can you be simultaneously a sinner, a broke down rebel, but also to be hearing that word of affirmation of your life accepted? How can that be? It is in Christ. It is in Christ. We are justified in Christ. How's that work? That means this. When you are united to Christ... The life that he lived is credited to you. And the death that he died takes away the just judgment of the law against you. To put it another way, when Jesus was serving the poor, he was posting up a righteousness for you. When Jesus was loving the outcast, he was posting up a righteousness for you. When Jesus was walking in obedience to the Father, he was posting up a righteousness for you. 
When he was living the prayerful life rather than the prayerless life, he was posting up a righteousness for you. Everything that you read in the Gospels is the glorious account of the righteous life that has been lived on your behalf. And then when you get to the cross, you get the just wrath of God extinguished. The just wrath that you deserved and I deserved satisfied. You know the gospel is not just about God forgiving you. You can't be brought into God's presence without righteousness. The death of Christ for your sins takes away your unrighteousness. But that's only half the story. The life of Christ gives you a positive righteousness that makes you acceptable before God. So here's the deal. And this is important. This is the important thing about union with Christ. You are not justified as an isolated person. You are justified in union with Christ. So that when he died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised. When he was accepted into the Father's glory, you were accepted into the Father's glory. The justification of Christ is the justification of his people. And no one of his people is justified in distinction from him or in separation from him. If you are united to Christ, if you are united to Christ, you are as loved as Jesus is. How are you, how righteous are you before the Father? As righteous as Jesus is. You are as unassailably righteous as Jesus is. How loved are you before the Father? You are as loved as Jesus is. How secure are you before the Father? You're as secure as Jesus is. How prized are you before the Father? You are as prized as Jesus is. How validated are you before the Father? You are as validated as Jesus is. How accepted are you before the Father? You are as accepted as Jesus is. In union with Christ, God does not tolerate you. He delights in you. He loves you. He favors you. He has no adverse thoughts towards you. There's never been a thought in his mind that has been anything but good for you. Because you're united to Christ. That's good news, y'all. That's the importance of justification. Justification by faith hooks you up into the favor of God such that when he looks at you, it's as if he's looking at Jesus. His blessed son, whom he has loved for eternity, from eternity, and will into eternity. You are as loved and will be as loved from now until forevermore as the son of God is. God can no sooner stop loving you than he can stop loving Jesus. God is as disappointed in you as he is in Jesus. Let that sink in. Do you feel like your behavior causes God's love and concern and commitment to you to fluctuate? Well, then you're not living in line with justification by faith. You got some other version of justification. 
Because here's the deal. In Christ, end time judgment that we would expect to come in the future has become past for us. Because end time judgment fell on the cross for us. But also, end time blessing has been dispensed on us in the giving of the Spirit in Christ. So here's the deal. How are you to understand justification? Like this. Okay. And you got to be careful with this distinction. Justification is not the work of a surgeon in your body. It's the declaration of a judge over your life with respect to the law. Justification is not something that God does in you. It is a status that he declares over you. So it's not dependent upon how you feel, how you're doing, how obedient or disobedient you've been, how idolatrous you have been, how selfish you have been, how much you have failed. It is not decreased by any of your failures and it's not increased by any of your successes. So your sin brings no warrant for despair. And your successes bring no warrant for pride when you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. God, verse 26 says, did this, work this gospel plan out so that he could be just and the justifier. You have to see it's only in the gospel that God could be just and justifier. Now here's the thing. And I need to make this plain. In our culture, we hear lots of calls for justice. Rightly so. We hear lots of calls for justice. People look at popular culture and you hear their cries against injustice. You see them looking at institutions and calling for injustice. They look at current events and they, they cry out for justice. They look at institutions and they cry out for justice. They look at the statistics and they cry out for justice. But when they look at their own hearts, they are strangely silent. And you've got to realize that if justice is coming out there, it's coming in here. And the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to frantically start cleaning the house like you do when people are coming over for dinner? It's going to work about that well. Your, your, your guest is going to see Elmo hanging out behind the chair. It's going to be a farce. You can't clean up fast enough. You can't do a deep enough cleaning. You can't remove the stains. God is just. He must, he must judge sin. But here's the deal. The bad news is that you cannot justify yourself. The good news is that you don't have to. God can be just and justifier only in the gospel because he justly lays his wrath upon the sinfulness of humanity in his son Jesus. And he's able to set us free from the demands of the law against us, the penalty of the law against our sin in Jesus. This is the fact of justification, but let's quickly look at the impact of justification by faith. Now, I want to say this. It cannot be overstated how important justification by faith is 
for our lives because it addresses every sphere of life. Most of our problems in life stem from the fact that we're trying to justify ourselves. And this doctrine confronts self-righteousness in all of its various forms. It addresses shame and anger and fear. Now here's the deal. We believe in any number of departures from justification by faith. Let me, let me name a few. We believe in justification by education. The more I know, the more God favors me. We especially like that when it comes to theology. But let me tell you something. Your grasp of theology is no sure footing for justification. We believe in justification by accumulation. I will be okay when I amass enough money and toys. Guess what? I like that phrase of Jim Carrey. He said, I hope that everyone gets rich and famous so they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey. We believe in justification by administration. I will be okay when I get my life organized. Moms, I'm going to be okay once I get this all pulled together. I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> except that that is not a basis for your being okay. That is not going to work. We believe in justification by socialization. You'll be okay once you assimilate into our cultural world. Once you embrace our values and our visions, then, then you'll have the word of affirmation. That ain't going to do it. That ain't going to do it. See, here's the deal. Why are you anxious and stressed out? Because you are locating your justification in your own efforts and not in Christ. Why do you work like a fool and, and burn the candle at both ends? Because you're trying to get that outside word of affirmation over your life so that you can be okay. But do you see how, how the gospel, how justification by faith frees you from the rat race? Because here's the deal. If you know that you survived the scrutiny of God Almighty through Jesus Christ, then you can bear the lesser scrutiny of your fellow human beings. If you know that you have God's approval, you don't need anyone else's approval. If you know that God is your defender, then you don't need to be defensive. You know you're free to be wrong and to turn. You know, you know people who are right and people who are wrong feel exactly the same until the person who is wrong feels something deeper because of their wrongness, that somehow it cuts to the core of who they are. But guess what? When you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, you don't need to fear being wrong and saying, thanks for helping me. I think you're right. I need to change my thinking on that, especially when it, God's the, the speaker. Here's the deal. Justif justification by faith frees us from what we could call a legal spirit. How many of y'all grew up in contexts where people were always crying foul for legalism? They just being legalistic. How many of y'all? Y'all heard this? How many of y'all still say it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the deal. Most of the time, what people are griping about is that people are actually holding them accountable to live in life as a disciple of Jesus. 
most of the time. They so legalistic telling me to give. They so legalistic telling me that I, that I, have, to, that I have to actually like repent of my sins. No, that's, that's not legalism. But there is a legal spirit that we have to combat, and I want to help you. A legal spirit believes that, that I, through my actions and my behavior, can get God to feel better or worse about me based upon how I behave. That's, that's a legal spirit. Based upon what I do, how I think, or what I achieve, God may smile more or less over me. That's a legal spirit. Do you have a pattern of running to certain things to win God's smile, especially after you, you, you fail big, big time? When you realize you've screwed up, do you say, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to make this right? If you do, therein is, is, your, is your self-justifying ways. That's, that's your righteousness, functionally. Now, we all battle for our whole lives to fight off self-justifying ways and self-righteousness, but there's where you start. The freedom in Jesus is to know that God smiles over your life even when there is a frowning providence. The clouds seem to hide that smiling face when life is hard or circumstances are rough. Justification by faith alone and Christ alone says I always have God's smile. I can't improve upon his disposition toward me. I can't make him feel any more strongly toward me than he already does. That's freedom. Let me ask you this. Does your inner lawyer or the devil drive you to live in, in condemnation and despair all the time? To beat yourself up? That's a legal spirit. Repentance and mourning our sins is one thing. But remaining in despair because of our sins and beating ourselves up like many in the medieval age did to try and assuage God's wrath is to completely discount the finished work of Christ and your union with him. Are you anxiously trying to achieve and accumulate things to mitigate your failures? You need to know this, that the symbol of the Christian faith is not the scale, it's the cross. It's not a weighing of your good versus your bad deeds that gets you acceptance. It's the cross and the resurrection. Do you feel you constantly have to prove yourself? Do you? To who? Who do you have to prove yourself to? And why do you feel like you have to prove yourself to them? What can they give you that you don't have in Christ? What affirmation could they give you that hasn't been given to you in the gospel? What kind of security or, or happy feelings can they give you that are not available in full measure in the gospel? None. I'll help you. Does criticism crush you and throw you into self-justifying panic? I feel that in ministry. When the barrage of criticisms come, why aren't we doing this? Why don't we do that? Well, you know, we ought to do this. And you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've thought of that. Um, here are the 10 reasons why that won't work. Or, hey, that's a good idea. I should change that. Uh, there's always a temptation, even in ministry, to try and justify yourself through your ministry, to try and justify yourself by how good your sermons are, 
to try and justify yourself by how, by how faithful your service is. We're not immune to it. We are all laid low when we see our self-justifying ways. But the freedom of the gospel is to come out. Come out of your self-justifying ways. Come out of your self-righteousness. Justification by faith is the unique healing agent for a legal spirit. And I'm closing with this. We will struggle to bear witness to this good news of God's grace so long as we foster a legal spirit in our midst. So long as we live our lives under that, that legality. Remember, apart from the law, you are set free. And once you're set free from the law, you can actually live in accord with the beauty of the law. Because it's the revealed will of God. It's, the law is good. Paul's going to go on to say, that, is the law bad? By no means. <laughs> the law is good. The law simply cannot clean you or make you well. Jesus does that. And once he does, now you're free to live in the beauty of holiness. But we're not going to bear beautiful witness to the world so long as we maintain our self-justifying ways. But when people see a righteousness that's not our own, beautifying us, well, then there's witness. The world is longing to hear and needs to hear, but rarely hears from Christians that there is a way to hear that voice from the outside speaking over them, saying that they're, they're in good footing now, that they're in good standing, but they need to know that it's not going to be by any righteousness that is to be found in them. Are you sharing this? Are you sharing? When you see people running around killing themselves in their just self-justifying ways, are you merciful enough? Are you kind enough? Are you gracious enough? Are you loving enough to say, hey, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to live like that. I know what it's like to live like that. I struggle to fight it off every day, but did you know that you can be righteous by faith alone and Christ alone? The Christian faith holds up to the scrutiny of, 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 of public dialogue. Share your faith. Share your faith and bring the good news to bear in the lives of the people around you, especially your children. Do not inculcate in your children self-justifying ways. Repent to them. Tell them, you know, daddy was wrong. Will you forgive me? You know, mommy lost her temper and I blamed you falsely. Would you forgive me? We need to coach our kids. We need to apprentice our kids away from self-justifying self-righteousness and into the righteousness that's in Christ. There are all kinds of ways that this plays, but take this into community groups this week and work this out together in faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the righteousness that you have given us, a righteous standing, a status that does not come because of how well we perform. I know that in the world, we present our resumes to gain acceptance, to say that we're good enough. In the world, we present our transcripts to say that we should be accepted. But it's not that way in the kingdom. It's not that way in the gospel. So Lord, I pray that you would help us in here to embrace 
that righteousness that comes through faith alone in Christ alone, that we can't add to, that we can't shine up, that we can't improve, that we can't destroy or tear down because it is unassailable and perfect and beautiful and powerful and effective before your holy sight. So Lord, help us to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes through works of the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith. And may that righteous standing that we have through faith beautify our lives and actually make us more faithful and more beautiful and greater servants and more humble and more gracious, better friends, better husbands and fathers, better wives and mothers, better neighbors, better workers, freer people. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.